Uh, good evening to my class. Um, so uh, today I am going to uh, take up part two of the novel and um, uh, we have already seen uh, the movements uh, in the first part of the novel uh, and as I told you yesterday uh, part two of the novel is going to be uh, quite different in its tone and its complexion uh, from what we saw, uh, you know, in part one of the novel. Um, before I, you know, uh, take up, um, uh, you know, the events and um, incidents, etc., I'd just like to give you a little idea about, uh, you know, what we're going to see in the second part of the novel. Uh, an important thing that we're going to notice in the second part is that um, Mirsot is going to be acting as a naive hero. And, uh, you know, a naive hero is, um, you know, a literary device in which we have a character who appears to actually not, you know, know anything, seems to be very, um, uh, you know, innocent uh, in terms of uh, understanding and knowledge. But uh, actually, uh, you know, sort of at the bottom of it, the person really also knows a lot. So, uh, you know, he is going to be acting as a naive hero. He's going to describe what he does not understand, right? So he does not understand that, uh, and he's going to describe all of it, although, uh, you know, the reader is able to make out that, uh, you know, there's something very deep in his sense of understanding, but uh, the literary device is that of the naive hero. Uh, we're also going to see that, uh, you know, the narrative or the uh, way in which the story is going to be narrated uh, makes uh, the hero or the narrator uh, the Outsider, you know, see the title of the uh, novel, uh, The Outsider, you know, the, or The Stranger, which we have in French. He becomes the outsider and at the centre of alienation, yeah? So he's at the centre of alienation, yet simultaneously he's alienated and dispossessed. Okay, dispossessed means, you know, he doesn't have anything. So you see he is an outsider, he's at the centre of the alienation, and yet, simultaneously, he's also alienated and dispossessed. So you look at the sort of contradictory kind of uh, things coming together, almost sort of, you know, paradoxical, sometimes almost um, oxymoronic. So this is the kind of thing that we're going to see here. Uh, this part, you know, uh, the second part of the novel, it is, uh, you know, going to insert the hero, you know, into a system which is dominated by casualty and introspection. So everything seems to be, uh, you know, just happening automatically. There is a certain uh, casualty in everything and there is introspection, okay? Uh, he's going to remember, I told you, he's going to look inward. Whereas in the first part, it was just looking outside, looking at the world you know, materialistically, the size of the coffin, you know, the, the, the manner in which that robotic woman uh, reads the menu, etc. So it's external. But here there is introspection and the hero is going to be controlled and manipulated, you know. Uh, he is going to find that everything that's happening to him is just almost out of his control, out of his own, uh, you know, um, hands. And everything just seems to be slipping away from him, okay. And, uh, you know, everything becomes very unfamiliar to him. And the whole, uh, you know, second part is going to make the hero almost, uh, you know, uh, his life is just going to be disrupted, uh, you know, almost automa uh, automatic. And uh, even the words uh, that are going to be used in the uh, novel uh, seem to be a certain kind of a, uh, you know, a disruptive uh, meaning of words, okay? So even very common and ordinary things that uh, words that we're going to use seem to have a certain kind of a disruptive, disruptive, understand? Something which disturbs, something which just, you know, uh, you know, disturbs the balance of everything, right? Uh, this part is also going to satirize the legal system, you know, very, very important. We're going to look at all the absurdities of the legal system, you know, right from, uh, you know, morality and um, uh, judgment and the whole manner in which the whole trial takes place, etc. Okay, uh, so it satirizes the legal system, uh, you know, but as representative of a society based on, uh, you know, imposing moral and social values. You know? So is that what the legal system is supposed to be doing, you know, imposing moral and social values, which an absurd man rejects? 
this word an absurd man it's it, it's something we cannot understand it doesn't have any meaning and you know satire also requires some distance so for mere souls to satirize the negro system and everything there is a certain amount of distance he's going to be in jail he's going to be introspecting he's going to be thinking about many things so this part uh, second part of the novel obviously it's going to be the culmination of what all we've seen but it becomes interesting because uh, the complexion has changed and um, of course we're going to see a, a different really kind of mere sort okay so um I'd begin by uh, reading from uh, the opening lines of the chapter. So, uh, you know, all of you would have understood that Mersault has been arrested by now for the murder of the Arab. Immediately after my arrest, I was questioned several times. But it was only a matter of finding out who I was, which didn't take long. The first time at the police station, nobody seemed very interested in my case. A week later, though, the examining magistrate eyed me with curiosity. So, you know, he's just one of the many cases in the beginning. Nobody takes really much interest in him. But by and by, you're going to see the kind of interest that has developed in Mirsol's case. Okay. So, um, obviously, to start with, so the only things that he'd asked are his, you know, address, his name, and uh, occupation, and date of birth, you know. So, uh, uh, very, very, uh, you know, statistical. And that's how, um, you know, modern man is uh, looked upon, you know, as, as a number, you know, as, uh, you know, as a date of birth, etc. Uh, you'd recall um, this, um, the poem that you did in your earlier semesters of the unknown citizen, you know. Um, so even he is just another statistic, right? So all these things are asked and he answers. And then the questions asked to him is, you know, um, whether he had taken, uh, chosen a lawyer. And see the, uh, the reply that Marisol gives. Marisol says, uh, uh, I hadn't inquired as to whether it was absolutely necessary to have one. So you see, uh, right from the beginning, Mersault is not interested in saying that, uh, please save me, I did not commit the murder, uh, etc. And in fact, he finds it quite bizarre that, you know, his case is very simple and yet, uh, you know, he's being given a lawyer and, you know, all that. So he finds it quite amusing, right? So um, he says, I think my case was very simple. And, uh, you know, the magistrate says, uh, he smiled and said, that's your opinion, but this is the law right so if you don't choose a lawyer yourself we'll appoint one for you automatically and Mirsod is very amused at this that you know wow the state is going to you know appoint a lawyer for me I don't have to do anything about it although he says you know my case is open and shut so simple I'm saying I committed a murder punish me it's okay so the magistrate says no you don't know the law you don't know how it's going to work okay so right from the word go uh, there, there are the, uh, you know, uh, absurdities, you know, from the point of view of an absurd man that, uh, you know, the law itself and or the legal apparatus or the manner in which, uh, you know, the legal system works has so many strange uh, flashpoints um, in themselves, okay? So he says, you know, at first I didn't um, take him seriously and then, uh, you know, he was um, taken into a curtain room where there was just one uh, tiny lamp and um you know there are he's waiting you know while he's uh, he's busy and he notices him it says that he was a fine featured man with deep set blue eyes a long gray moustache and a mass of almost white hair you know so um he found him on the whole very pleasant he sort of liked him also okay and see the last um line of this paragraph um, it's, it's very touching, you know, he says, on my way out, I was even going to shake his hand, but I remember just in time that I'd killed a man. So, you know, immediately he, uh, you know, withdraws and he says that, oh, no, I don't think I'm in a position to, uh, you know, uh, shake hands with the magistrate because I am a murderer, right? So the segregation that we have in society, you know, of the good people and the not so good and the very evil, you know. So uh, he already sort of looks at himself as, uh, you know, as a dangerous man, okay. So uh, the next day, uh, a lawyer came uh, to see him at the prison, okay. So the earlier person that he met was the magistrate. Now there's a lawyer, he comes in uh, and he looks at him and he says, in spite of the heat, he was wearing, uh, you know, a dark suit, uh, you know, a wing collar and a 
peculiar tie with broad black and white stripes right so he found even his dress was very uh, you know strange for the kind of weather that was wearing it was very hot and very uncomfortable so he came in all stuffy like this right and um, he you know then he studied his file and he said you know his that you know Mirso's case was very tricky but he was confident of success okay and he says um, let's get straight on with it yes so obviously uh, the lawyer uh, you know trying to look at the bright side and see how well uh, he can defend his client right so um, he sat down on his Mirso's bed and explained that you know some investigations have been made into my private life all right now this is another important flashpoint of the whole uh, legal system in which you know his uh, private life has been uh, you know looked into all right and it was discovered that his mother had died recently and inquiries had been made at the home in Marengo and what did everybody say there they said that he displayed a lack of emotion you know so the lawyer says see this is a very important thing for me to ask but I must ask you you know uh, how did you feel uh, or did you feel any grief on that day okay now Mirsaw said that this question really surprised me and I thought how embarrassed I had have been if I had to ask it so he says I would never have asked such a question of anybody but when I was asked it was like I, I was really embarrassed okay so uh, he gives a very terse reply just like um, he's used to he says you know I'd rather got out of the habit of analyzing myself and that I found it difficult to answer this question now remember Mirsaw doesn't analyze uh, doesn't analyze anyone doesn't you know pass judgments on anybody in the first part now neither does he do it for himself right so he says I probably loved mother quite a lot but that didn't mean anything yes Remember, this is uh, the, these lines come very often. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. Whether it's about Marie, whether it's about uh, you know not going to Paris from Algiers, and he says you know here the lawyer um, you know found it very strange. What does it mean when? And he also says you know to a certain extent all normal people sometimes wish their loved ones were dead. Okay, now uh, that's a very um, strong kind of a statement to make although we'd understand that you know in our moments of anger or in our moments of frustration maybe some uh, thought like this passes our mind so he says why do we make so much of noise about it okay and then it's not only the lawyer who's also very surprised that you know uh, there is this um, uh, the you know the the person who's uh, accompanying the person who's been sometimes he also seems to be very very shocked okay so um, he was very surprised and then uh, he explains to the lawyer he says you know uh, by nature my physical needs often distorted my feelings you know and remember I told you he's always very spontaneous raw he believes in his you know physical environment and his physical requirement remember he wanted to drink coffee he wanted to smoke a cigarette yes one day after his mother's funeral he wanted to have sex with Marie so he says you know I'm, I'm a very physical kind of a person he says on that day I was very tired and I was very sleepy so I wasn't fully aware of what was going on right so he says yes I was I was tired okay so he says the only certain thing that I could say was that I wish mother hadn't died but my lawyer didn't seem pleased he says that's not enough all right so um, look at the way about uh, look at the way in which the lawyer makes his first inquiry about his not crying at his mother's funeral yes displaying a lack of grief would obviously mean he's not crying at mother's funeral right so um, this is what happens then he you know thought for a moment and he says did you control your natural feelings on that day and Mirso said no I didn't it's not it's not true yes I just this, this is exactly how I felt yes I didn't uh, think it really necessary for me to you know make too much noise about anything and um, you know he also I pointed out to him that none of this had anything to do with my case but he merely replied that he had obviously never had anything to do with the law right so we uh, are looking at how everything is going to sort of be uh, like a conspiracy against um, Mersault in which things which are not uh, you know related to this whole affair are now being brought into focus yes so we're going to see the funeral in the focus we're going to see him not crying at the funeral we're going to see his uh, you know his uh, sexual escapade with um, Marie etc so all that is going to be brought into focus okay 
um, he left, he was, he looked very, very angry, okay, and, um, you know, the main thing was, I could tell that I made him feel uncomfortable, right, he didn't understand me, and he rather held it against me, okay, so the lawyer, the meeting with the lawyer is a very, um, is a, is a, is a very uncomfortable one, he's not very happy, okay, um, but everything seemed to be quite, uh, pointless, okay, now, um, again, uh, you know, the, 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 the clerk also who comes and then uh, they both, uh, you know, sat in the chairs, okay. Uh, so now he's been sent, uh, you know, sent again to the examination, uh, uh, examining magistrate again, okay. So they both sat back in um, chairs, okay. And he told uh, Mayor Saltkin that people described him as being very taciturn and withdrawn. And he wanted to know what I thought of that. So he says, I mean, people say that you know, you're a quiet and a withered man. And he gives a very, very straight reply, as all Miss Saltz replies are. And he says, it's just that I never have much to say. So I keep quiet. Okay? And, and we know that most of, most of the people are saying much more than they feel and saying much more than is required. So he says, see, I, I don't fall into that category. I just say as much as is required and that's what I am. Okay? Um, then he says, you know, what interests me is you. All right? Now, Mir Salt starts becoming an object of interest. Remember right in the beginning, he said nobody took interest in him. He was just another statistic. But now he's becoming quite interesting because of his peculiarities. Um, then, you know, uh, I didn't quite understand what he meant by that, and I didn't say anything, okay? He says, there are certain things, he added, that puzzle me in what you did, right? Now, uh, the main question that the magistrate is interested in is in the manner in which he shot the Arab, right? Now, remember, he shot uh, one, uh, you know, he shot him once, and then he dies, and then after that, he shoots again, all right? So, he says... Um, you know, I he Mesol tells everything to him. You know, the beach, the swim, the fight, the beach, the spring, the sun, and the five shots. Okay. After each sentence, he says, "Fine, fine, okay." Then he says, "Um, you know, I was." He was repeating the whole story again and again, and he, this is also a part of the whole, uh, you know, this legal system in which I have to repeat stories so many times, so much so that the truth absolutely becomes, um, uh, you know, distorted after a while. Okay. Now. Um, the magistrate wants to know, without any apparent logic, uh, he just asked him all of a sudden why he fired all five shots at once, right? And, uh, you know, he tries to explain to Mersol, says, you know, I didn't shoot all at once. He says, I shot once, then I waited, and then I shot uh, the other four shots, all right? So, uh, why, he asks him again, why did you fire at a dead body? And once again, I didn't know the answer. Yeah? So the magistrate wiped his hands, uh, you know, across his forehead and repeated, why? Why did you kill, uh, you know, why did you shoot at a dead body? And he understands that there are many questions uh, which he has no answers to. And, uh, you know, so many times it happens with us as well that, you know, we are asked a question and there's just no answer. And we say, I don't know. I, I really don't know why I did it. Okay. So uh, the, the, the lawyer is sort of getting very impatient and he doesn't get any straight answers from him. And see, Mersol is not the kind of person who's going to say that, okay, you tell me what I should say and I'm going to do that so that I get saved. No, he, he doesn't believe in that kind of thing. Okay. So uh, now there's another very funny part of the whole thing in which the magistrate, you know, he gets up and he goes to a drawer. And what does he do is he takes out the crucifix. Okay. That is the cross on which uh, Jesus was, um, you know, uh, crucified. And he shows him the cross and he says, you know, do you know who this is? And uh, Mayor Salt is very surprised and he says, of course I do. Then he spoke very quickly, passionately, telling me that he believed in God. And, you know, he says that, you know, no man was so guilty that God would not forgive him. And, uh, you know, he was almost now uh, becoming uh, or acting like a priest, trying to convert a person who uh, was evil and um, if you recall in my um, early lecture on uh, Albert Camus I told you you know that how he always found himself to be an outsider you know he says I was a you know I was a white man uh, in Algiers you know uh, and when I went um, uh, you know to Europe I was considered to be a black man and he says I was an infidel because you know I gave up uh, the Christian faith so here he is Oh, you know, uh, finding this question of God and faith and being brought up and being brought up by whom being brought up by a magistrate. So he finds it very, very strange. Okay. So, uh, you know, he said that uh, 
um, you know, he he says that you know I I was the criminal, but why am I being you know told about Jesus and that you know that Jesus tried to save us, etc. So he vaguely understood everything, and uh, he he just found it very very strange. Okay, uh, then you know the magistrate tells him that you know uh, it was. Uh, he asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, no. So he says, no, it's not possible for somebody not to believe in God. And, uh, you know, do you want my life to be meaningless? He asked this question, okay. And Mershal finds it very strange because for Mershal, everything is meaningless in, in any field, okay. So he now almost becomes like a priest, you know. And so we understand, um, you know, this very close relationship between uh, you know, religion and uh, every other aspect of our lives, right? So he says, I'm a Christian. I, I ask him to forgive your sins. How can you not believe that he suffered for your sake? And uh, I mean, uh, I'm sort of disgusted at all this. He says, why am I being, you know, forced to believe in God? And, um, you know, the magistrate says that every hardened criminal, whenever they come to such a stage when they're going to be punished, they always accept their crimes and they always accept God, okay? So he says, uh, you know, you see, you do believe and you will put your trust in him, won't you? I obviously said no again. He sank back into his chair, okay? Then he says, I've never seen a soul as hardened as yours. The criminals who have come to me before have always wept at the sight of the symbol of suffering, okay? So how, you know, generation after generation is taught about, um, you know, religion and the sacrifice of gods, etc. And how the human being is supposed to sort of respect that and perpetuate that. And Mirsol finds all this absolutely disgusting okay um, but I realized then I was like them too it was an idea I just couldn't get used to yeah? then the magistrate stood up as if to indicate that the examination was over so he you know actually felt very irritated and annoyed at this kind of uh, people coming to him and asking him all kinds of silly questions okay now uh, after that he says I think the magistrate actually lost interest in me okay but that's uh, you know, you'll always find that Mirsol um, always tries to be friendly with people, you know. He's not, he is detached, undoubted, but then he has, or he has interest in other people, you know. And he uh, finds, of course, that the magistrate, you know, loses interest in him. But uh, he didn't talk to me about God anymore, and I never saw him again in such a frenzy as on that day, you know. He was almost like, a, it was, uh, you know, as though it was a religious, con uh, you know, religious congregation, and it was trying to convert him, etc., okay. Uh, so uh, the, he, the the very important thing about his relationship now with the magistrate is that he says, you know, when there was no religion and God, etc., he says our relationships after that became more friendly. Yeah? And a few questions, a short conversation with my lawyer and the examination would be over. My case was taking its course, you know, quote, unquote, to use the magistrate's own phrase. And we understand when cases take their own course, they, they, they mean a rather long course, all right? So it's going on in that routine manner. And sometimes when the conversation was a general nature, I would be included too. Yeah, see this line, very, very significant. When the conversation was of a general nature, he was included. See, he is an outsider now. Even though he's uh, at the very central point of the crime, he has committed the crime. He is the most important person. But remember, he's alienated and uh, he's included, he says, when it's of a general nature. And after some time, he's going to say, you know, uh, oh, I'm going to a trial for the first time. It's really going to be interesting to watch a trial, okay? But actually, the trial is his. So you see a certain kind of, um, uh, you know, um, detachment and really uh, an outsider kind of feeling he gets when he is questioned uh, by the magistrate, okay? Uh, no one was unkind to me on these occasions. Everything was so natural, so well organized and so calmly acted out that I had the ridiculous impression of being one of the family, being one of the family is within single quotes. Okay, so now he says he almost gets, has a feeling of being sort of integrated. You see, in part one, there was always this feeling of being an outsider. Here, undoubtedly, he's an outsider. But because of uh, all the kind of meaninglessness and this whole system, he feels that, you know, he's already getting into this kind of a, this legal setup. Okay. And by the end of the 11 months, which this investigation <coughs> lasted, excuse me, I must say I was almost surprised that I'd ever enjoyed anything other than those rare moments when the magistrate would escort me to the door of his study, slap me on the shoulder and say in a friendly voice, that's all for today, Mr. Antichrist. Okay? So the magistrate 
you know, very playfully. He just, you know, hit them on the shoulder and called them an antichrist. I would then be put back in the hands of the police. So he says these were the best times that he had, you know, talking to the magistrate, not being with the fellow prisoners, okay? And see, he calls them an antichrist in a very joking way. I remember in my um, first lecture, I referred to the afterword of the book in which, you know, Albert Camus says, you know, that my character is the only Christ that people deserve, you know, because he's a man who can die for the truth and he'll do nothing else but only tell the truth, okay? So this chapter uh, introduces us to, uh, you know, his initiation into the whole legal process and how he's, um, you know, examined by the magistrate, by the lawyer, and also the magistrate who turns into a priest, you know, almost tries to convert him into, uh, you know, a child of God and his refusal. And now he becomes, uh, you know, an object of interest because he sort of is very unconventional and he's very unusual and he uh, doesn't do the same things that other people do. So uh, Mersault, uh, you know, by the end of this chapter, uh, seems to be getting friendly with the uh, magistrate and yet uh, also, um, you know, feels a certain sense of being an outsider and also being sucked into this certain kind of a, uh, the, this whole legal apparatus. Uh, so um, thank you and uh, do listen to the podcast very carefully uh, so that, you know, you can keep your questions, etc. ready and then we'll be able to have a discussion as well. Thank you. Uh, good evening to my class. Um, so uh, today I'm going to uh, take up part two of the novel and um, uh, we have already seen uh, the movements uh, in the first part of the novel uh, and as I told you yesterday, uh, part two of the novel is going to be uh, quite different in its tone and its complexion uh, from what we saw, uh, you know, in part one of the novel. Um, before I, you know, uh, take up, um, uh, you know, the events and um, incidents, etc., I'd just like to give you a little idea about, uh, you know, what we're going to see in the second part of the novel. Uh, an important thing that we're going to notice in the second part is that um, Mirsort is going to be acting as a naive hero. And, uh, you know, a naive hero is, um, you know, a literary device in which we have a character who appears to actually not, you know, know anything, seems to be very, um, uh, you know, innocent uh, in terms of uh, understanding and knowledge, but uh, actually, uh, you know, sort of at the bottom of it, the person really also knows a lot. So, uh, you know, he is going to be acting as a naive hero. He's going to describe what he does not understand, right? So he does not understand that, uh, and he's going to describe all of it, although, uh, you know, the reader is able to make out that, uh, you know, there's something very deep in his sense of understanding, but uh, the literary device is that of the naive hero. Uh, we're also going to see that, uh, you know, the narrative or the uh, way in which the story is going to be narrated uh, makes uh, the hero or the narrator uh, the outsider. You know, see the title of the uh, novel, uh, The Outsider, you know, the, or The Stranger, which we have in French. He becomes the outsider and at the center of alienation. Yeah, so he's at the center of alienation, yet simultaneously he's alienated and dispossessed okay dispossessed means you know he doesn't have anything so you see he is an outsider he's at the center of the alienation and yet simultaneously he's also alienated and dispossessed so you look at the sort of contradictory kind of uh, things coming together almost sort of you know, paradoxical, sometimes almost um, oxymoronic. So this is the kind of thing that we're going to see here. Uh, this part, you know, uh, the second part of the novel, it is, uh, you know, going to insert the hero, you know, into a system which is dominated by casualty and introspection. So everything seems to be you know, just happening automatically, there is a certain uh, casualty and everything, and there is introspection, okay? Uh, he's going to remember, I told you, he's going to look inward. Whereas in the first part, it was just looking outside, looking at the world, you know, materialistically, the size of the coffin, you know, the, the, the manner in which that robotic woman uh, reads the menu, etc. So it's external, but here there is introspection, 
and the hero is going to be controlled and manipulated you know uh, he is going to find that everything that's happening to him is just almost just out of his control out of his own uh, you know um, hands and everything just seems to be slipping away from him okay and uh, you know everything becomes very unfamiliar to him and the whole uh, you know second part is going to make the hero almost uh, you know uh, his life is just going to be disrupted uh, you know almost automatic uh, automatic and uh, even the words uh, that are going to be used in the uh, novel uh, seem to be a certain kind of a uh, you know a disruptive uh, meaning of words okay so even very common and ordinary things that uh, words that we're going to use seem to have a certain kind of a disruptive disruptive understand something which disturbs something which just you know uh, you know s disturbs the balance of everything right uh, this part is also going to satirize the legal system you know very very important we're going to look at all the absurdities of the legal system you know right from uh, you know morality and um, uh, judgment and the whole manner in which the whole trial takes place etc okay uh, so it satirizes the legal system uh, you know but as representative of a society based on uh, you know imposing moral and social values you know? so is that what the legal system is supposed to be doing you know imposing moral and social values which an absurd man rejects Yes, for an absurd man, it's it, it's something he cannot understand. Doesn't have any meaning, and you know satire also requires some distance. So for Mersault to satirize the legal system and everything, there is a certain amount of distance. He's going to be in jail. He's going to be introspecting. He's going to be thinking about many things. So this part, uh, the second part of the novel. Obviously, it's going to be the culmination of what we've seen, but it becomes interesting because uh, the complexion has changed, and um, of course, we're going to see a, a different, really, kind of mere sort. Okay, so um, I'd begin by uh, reading from uh, the opening lines of the chapter. So uh, you know, all of you would have understood that mere sort has been arrested by now for the murder of the Arab. Immediately after my arrest, I was questioned several times. But it was only a matter of finding out who I was, which didn't take long. The first time at the police station, nobody seemed very interested in my case. A week later, though, the examining magistrate eyed me with curiosity. So, you know, he's just one of the many cases in the beginning. Nobody takes really much interest in him. But by and by, you're going to see the kind of interest that is developed in Mersault's case. Okay. So, um, obviously, to start with, so the only things that he'd asked are his, you know, address, his name and uh, occupation and date of birth, you know. So, uh, uh, very, very, uh, you know, statistical. And that's how, um, you know, modern man is uh, looked upon, you know, as, as a number, you know, as, uh, you know, as a date of birth, etc. Uh, you'd recall um, this, um, the poem that you did in your earlier semesters of the unknown citizen, you know. Um, so even he is just another statistic, right? So all these things are asked and he answers. And then the questions asked to him is, you know, um, whether he had taken, uh, chosen a lawyer. And see the, uh, the reply that Mersault gives. Mersault says, uh, uh, I hadn't inquired as to whether it was absolutely necessary to have one. So you see, uh, right from the beginning, Mersault is not interested in saying that, uh, please save me, I did not commit the murder, uh, etc. And in fact, he finds it quite bizarre that, you know, his case is very simple and yet, uh, you know, he's been given a lawyer and, you know, all that. So he finds it quite amusing, right? So um, he says, I think my case was very simple. And, uh, you know, the magistrate says, uh, he smiled and said, that's your opinion, but this is the law. Right. So if you don't choose a lawyer yourself, we'll appoint one for you automatically. And Mirsold is very amused at this that, you know, wow, the state is going to, you know, appoint a lawyer for me. I don't have to do anything about it. Although he says, you know, my case is open and shut. So simple. I'm saying I committed a murder. Punish me. It's OK. So the magistrate says, no, you don't know the law. You don't know how it's going to work. OK. So right from the word go. Uh, 
there, there are the uh, you know uh, absurdities you know from the point of view of an absurd man that uh, you know the law itself and or the legal apparatus or the manner in which uh, you know the legal system works has so many strange uh, flashpoints um, in itself okay so he says you know at first i didn't um, take him seriously and then uh, you know he was um, taken into a curtain room where there was just one uh, tiny lamp and um, you know there are he's waiting you know while he's uh, he's busy and he notices him it says that he was a fine featured man with deep set blue eyes a long gray mustache and a mass of almost white hair you know so um, he found him on the whole very pleasant he sort of liked him also okay and see the last um, line of this paragraph um, it's, it's very touching you know he says on my way out i was even going to shake his hand but i remembered just in time that i'd killed a man so you know immediately he uh, you know withdraws and he says that oh no i don't think i'm in a position to uh, you know uh, shake hands with the magistrate because i am a murderer right so the segregation that we have in society you know of the good people and the not so good and the very evil you know so uh, he already sort of looks at himself as uh, you know as a dangerous man okay so uh, the next day uh, a lawyer came uh, to see him at the prison okay so the earlier person that he met was the magistrate now there's a lawyer he comes in uh, and he looks at him and he says in spite of the heat he was wearing uh, you know a dark suit uh, you know a wing collar and a peculiar tie with broad black and white stripes right so he found even his dress was very uh, you know strange for the kind of weather that was there you know it was very hot and very uncomfortable so he came in all stuffy like this right and um, he you know then he studied this file and he said you know that you know Mirso's case was very tricky but he was confident of success okay and he says um, let's get straight on with it yes so obviously uh, the lawyer uh, you know trying to look at the bright side and see how well uh, he can defend his client right so um, he sat down on his Mirso's bed and he explained that you know some investigations have been made into my private life all right now this is another important flashpoint of the whole uh, legal system in which you know his uh, private life has been uh, you know looked into all right and it was discovered that his mother had died recently and inquiries had been made at the home in marengo and what did everybody say there they said that he displayed a lack of emotion you know so the lawyer says see this is a very important thing for me to ask but i must ask you you know uh, how did you feel uh, or did you feel any grief on that day okay now mirsal said that this question really surprised me and i thought how embarrassed i had have been if i had to ask it so he says i would never have asked such a question of anybody but when i was asked it was like i i was really embarrassed okay so uh, he gives a very terse reply just like um, he's used to he says you know i'd rather got out of the habit of analyzing myself and that i found it difficult to answer this question now remember mirso doesn't analyze uh, doesn't analyze anyone doesn't you know pass judgments on anybody in the first part now neither does he do it for himself right so he says i probably loved mother quite a lot but that didn't mean anything yes remember this is uh, the, these lines come very often that doesn't mean anything that doesn't mean anything whether it's about marie whether it's about uh, you know not going to paris from algiers and he says you know here the lawyer um, you know found it very strange what does it mean when and he also says you know to a certain extent all normal people sometimes wished their loved ones were dead okay now uh, that's a very um, strong kind of a statement to make although we'd understand that you know in our moments of anger or in our moments of frustration maybe some uh, thought like this passes our mind so he says why do we make so much of noise about it okay and then it's not only the lawyer who's also very surprised that you know uh, there is this um, mm, uh, the you know the the person who's uh, accompanying the person who's been some typing he also seems to be very very shocked okay so um, he was very surprised and then uh, he explains to the lawyer he says you know uh, by nature 
my physical needs often distorted my feelings you know and remember i told you he's always very spontaneous raw he believes in his you know physical environment and his physical requirement remember he wanted to drink coffee he wanted to smoke a cigarette yes one day after his mother's funeral he wanted to have sex with marie so he says you know i'm i'm a very physical kind of a person he says on that day i was very tired and i was very sleepy so i wasn't fully aware of what was going on right so he says yes i was i was tired okay so he says the only certain thing that i could say was that i wish mother hadn't died but my lawyer didn't seem pleased he says that's not enough all right so um look at the way about uh, look at the way in which the lawyer makes his first inquiry about his not crying at his mother's funeral yes displaying a lack of grief he obviously knew he's not crying at mother's funeral right so um this is what happens then he you know thought for a moment and he says did you control your natural feelings on that day and mirso said no i didn't it's not it's not true yes i this this is exactly how i felt yes i didn't uh, think it really necessary for me to you know make too much noise about anything and um you know he also i pointed out to him that none of this had anything to do with my case but he merely replied that he had obviously never had anything to do with the law right so we uh, are looking at how everything is going to sort of be uh, like a conspiracy against um, mersold in which things which are not uh, you know related to this whole affair are now being brought into focus yes so we are going to see the funeral in the focus we're going to see him not crying at the funeral we're going to see his uh, you know his uh, sexual escapade with um, marie etc so all that is going to be brought into focus okay um he left he was he looked very very angry okay and um, you know the main thing was i could tell that i made him feel uncomfortable right he didn't understand me and he rather held it against me okay so the lawyer the meeting with the lawyer is a very um, is a, is a, is a very uncomfortable one he's not very happy okay um but everything seemed to be quite uh, pointless okay now um again uh, you know the the the, the clerk also who comes and then uh, they both uh, we know sat in the chairs okay uh, so now he's been sent uh, you know sent again to the examination uh, uh, examining magistrate again okay so they both sat back in um, chairs okay and he told uh, mayor salt you know that people described him as being very taciturn and withdrawn and he wanted to know what i thought of that so he says i mean people say that you know you're a quiet and a reserved man and he gives a very very straight reply as all mesot replies are and he says it's just that i never have much to say so i keep quiet okay and and we know that most of people most of the people are saying much more than they feel and saying much more than is required so you see i i don't fall into that category i just say as much as is required and that's what i am okay um then he says you know what interests me is you all right now mir salt starts becoming an object of interest remember right in the beginning he said nobody took interest in him he was just another statistic but now he's becoming quite interesting because of his peculiarities um then you know uh, i didn't quite understand what he meant by that and i didn't say anything okay he says there are certain things he added that puzzle me in what you did right now uh, the main question that the magistrate is interested in is in the manner in which he shot the arrow right now remember he shot uh one uh, you know he shot him once and then he dies and then after that he shoots again all right so he says um you know i he meso tells everything to him you know the beach the swim the fight the beach the spring the sun and the five shots okay after each sentence he says fine fine okay then he says um you know i was he was repeating the whole story again and again and he, this is also a part of the whole uh, you know this legal system in which you have to repeat stories so many times so much so that the truth absolutely becomes um, uh, you know distorted after a while okay now um the magistrate wants to know without any apparent logic uh, he just asked him all of a sudden why he fired all five shots at once right and uh, you know he tries to explain to mersol says you know i didn't shoot all at once he says i shot once then i waited and then i shot uh, the other four shots all right so uh, why he asks him again why did you fire at a dead body and once again i didn't know the answer yeah so the magistrate wiped his hands uh, you know across his forehead and repeated why why did you kill 
uh, you know, why did you shoot at a dead body? And he understands that there are many questions uh, which he has no answers to. And, uh, you know, so many times it happens with us as well that, you know, we are asked a question and there's just no answer. And we say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I did it. Okay. So uh, the, the, the lawyer is sort of getting very impatient and he doesn't get any straight answers from him. And Sri Mersold is not the kind of person who's going to say that, okay, you tell me what I should say and I'm going to do that so that I get the same. No, he, he doesn't believe in that kind of thing. Okay. So uh, now there's another very funny part of the whole thing in which the magistrate, you know, he gets up and he goes to a draw. And what does he do is he takes out the crucifix okay that is the cross on which uh, Jesus was um, you know uh, crucified and he shows him the cross and he says you know do you know who this is and uh, Mayor Salt is very surprised and he says of course I do then he spoke very quickly passionately telling me that he believes in God and you know he says that you know man was so guilty that God would not forgive him and uh, you know he was almost now uh, becoming uh, or acting like a priest trying to convert a person who uh, was evil. And um, if you recall in my um, early lecture on uh, Albert Camus, I told you, you know, that how he always found himself to be an outsider, you know. He says, I was a, you know, I was a white man uh, in Algiers, you know, uh, and when I went, um, uh, you know, to Europe, I was considered to be a black man. And he says, I was an infidel because, you know, I gave up uh, the Christian faith. So here he is, uh, you know, uh, finding this question of God and faith and being brought up and being brought up by whom being brought up by a magistrate. So he finds it very, very strange. Okay. So, uh, you know, he said that, uh, uh, you know, he, he says that, you know, I, I was the criminal, but why am I being, you know, told about Jesus and that, you know, that Jesus tried to save us, etc. So he vaguely understood everything and uh, he, he just found it very, very strange. Okay? Uh, then, you know, the magistrate tells him that, you know, uh, it was, uh, he asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, no. So he says, no, it's not possible for somebody not to believe in God. And, uh, you know, do you want my life to be meaningless? He asked this question. Okay? And Mersault finds it very strange because for Mersault, everything is meaningless in any case. Okay? So he now almost becomes like a priest, you know, and so we understand, um, you know, this very close relationship between, uh, you know, religion and uh, every other aspect of our lives, right? So he says, I'm a Christian, I, I ask him to forgive your sins, how can you not believe that he suffered for your sake? And uh, I mean, uh, sort of disgusted at all this, he says, why am I being, you know, forced to believe in God? And, um, you know, the magistrate says that every hardened criminal, whenever they come to such a stage when they're going to be punished, they always accept their crimes and they always accept God. Okay. So he says, uh, you know, you see, you do believe and you will put your trust in him, won't you? I obviously said no again. He sank back into his chair. Okay. Then he says, I've never seen a soul as hardened as yours. The criminals who have come to me before have always wept at the sight of the symbol of suffering. Okay, so how you know generation after generation is taught about um, you know religion and the sacrifice of gods, etc., and how the human being is supposed to sort of respect that and perpetuate that. And Mirsol finds all this absolutely disgusting. Okay, um, but I realized then I was like them too. It was an idea I just couldn't get used to. Then the magistrate stood up as if to indicate that the examination was over. So he, you know, actually felt very irritated and annoyed at this kind of uh, people coming to him and asking him all kinds of silly questions, okay? Now, uh, after that, he says, I think the magistrate actually lost interest in me, okay? But it's, uh, you know, you'll always find that Mersault um, always tries to be friendly with people, you know? He's not, he is detached, undoubted, but then he has, or he has interest in other people, you know, and he uh, finds, of course, that the magistrate you know, loses interest in him, but uh, he didn't talk to me about God anymore, and I never saw him again in such a frenzy as on that day, you know. He was almost like, a, it was, uh, you know, as though it was a religious, con uh, you know, religious congregation, and he was trying to convert him, etc., okay. Uh, so, uh, the, he, the, the very important thing about his relationship now with the magistrate is that he says, you know, when there was no religion and God, etc., he says our relationship after that became more friendly. Yeah? And a few questions, a short conversation with my lawyer and the examination would be over. My case was taking its course 
you know, quote unquote, to use the magistrate's own phrase. And we understand when cases take their own course, they, they, they mean a rather long course, right? So it's going on in that routine manner. And sometimes when the conversation was a general nature, I would be included too. Right? See this line, very, very significant. When the conversation was of the general nature, he was included. See, he is an outsider now. Even though he's uh, at the very central point of the crime, he has committed the crime. He is the most important person. But remember, he's alienated and uh, he's included, he says, when it's of a general nature. And after some time, he's going to say, you know, uh, oh, I'm going to a trial for the first time. It's really going to be interesting to watch a trial, you see. But actually, the trial is his. So you see a certain kind of, um, uh, you know, um, detachment and really uh, an outsider kind of feeling he gets when he is questioned uh, by the magistrate, okay. Uh, no one was unkind to me on these occasions. Everything was so natural, so well organized and so calmly acted out that I had the ridiculous impression of being one of the family, being one of the family is within single quotes. Okay, so now he says he almost gets has a feeling of being sort of integrated. You see, in part one, there was always this feeling of being an outsider. Here, undoubtedly, he's an outsider. But because of uh, all the kind of meaninglessness and this whole system, he feels that you know he is already getting into this kind of a this legal setup. Okay, and by the end of the eleven months, which this investigation <coughs> lasted, excuse me, I must say I was almost surprised that I'd ever enjoyed anything other than those rare moments when the magistrate would escort me to the door of his study, slap me on the shoulder and say in a friendly voice, that's all for today, Mr. Antichrist, okay? So the magistrate, uh, you know, very playfully, he just, you know, hits him on the shoulder and calls him an Antichrist. I would then be put back in the hands of the police. So he says these were the best times that he had, you know, talking to the magistrate, not being with the fellow prisoners, okay? And see, he calls him an Antichrist in a very joking way. I remember in my um, first lecture, I referred to the afterword of the book in which, you know, Albert Camus says, you know, that my character is the only Christ that people deserve, you know, because he's a man who can die for the truth and he'll do nothing else but only tell the truth, okay? So this chapter uh, introduces us to, uh, you know, his initiation into the whole legal process and how he's, um, you know, examined by the magistrate, by the lawyer, and also the magistrate who turns into a priest, you know, almost tries to convert him into, uh, you know, a child of God and his refusal. And now he becomes, uh, you know, an object of interest because he sort of is very unconventional and he's very unusual and he uh, doesn't do the same things that other people do. So uh, Mirsod, uh, you know, by the end of this chapter, uh, seems to be getting friendly with the uh, magistrate and yet uh, also, um, you know, feels a certain sense of being an outsider and also being sucked into this certain kind of a, uh, the, this whole legal apparatus. Uh, so um, thank you and uh, do listen to the podcast very carefully uh, so that, you know, you can keep your questions, etc. ready and then we'll be able to have a discussion as well. Thank you.